Greetings. Welcome back to another Truth Factor discussion. Having finished our study through the book of Ecclesiastes, we are now about to do a series of topical studies with the first one being five tips for growing a local church. And we'll talk about that here in a minute, what we mean by that. If you did miss any of the Ecclesiastes studies, you could catch up on our YouTube channel. Our YouTube channel is Truth Factor Live and look for the playlist Ecclesiastes, our study through Ecclesiastes. You'll find that playlist and that'll let you catch up with what we have done um, during that study. What I'd like to do today is to spend a little bit of time talking about the subject of, well, how to essentially grow a local church. Five tips for growing a local church. Now, I'd like to hear what you have to say about this, so just kind of keep that in mind and don't hesitate to jump in to our study. If you're viewing, if you've joined us through our Facebook page and you're watching us there with the live stream, then use the comment section and let us know what you have to think. If you've joined us on our YouTube channel, the live stream there, then you can use the chat area to let us know what you think as well. You can also, if you would like, send any questions and comments to us. Send it to, let's see, where's my shortcut? Maybe this, well, that won't work. Anyway, I've done something wrong. Anyway, send it to questions at truthfactorlive.com. And we'll definitely, I love, we'd definitely love to hear from you and to get back with you. All right. So as I mentioned a while ago, we're going to be looking at the subject of five tips for growing a local church. Now, there are two different approaches that one could take with the study. Okay. Many times when you talk about growing a local church, what might come to mind is numerically. You know, we've got a congregation of 40. How do we get up to be a congregation of 200? So that's one approach you could take, and we'll definitely talk about that as we go through this morning's study. The other approach is growing the local church in a way that helps all the saints to grow, to become stronger, so that the, the church truly is a worthy lampstand, if you would, pulling from Revelation, a lampstand for the light of the Lord. And that's where our focus is going to be this morning. But we'll touch on the, the first point that I made and some of the challenges and issues with that. So any thoughts or comments from you guys without giving the whole study away all at one time before we start our study? <laughs> I like what you said there, uh, John, uh, that uh, there are different measures and uh, certainly all of them are important. Uh, and so... Uh, how are those things accomplished? And uh, looking forward to our study today, I think uh, certainly I can benefit a great deal from looking at these things. Yeah, you know, I appreciate and, that. Yeah. And also tying this together, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned the two different methods, and we're going to be focusing on the first one, which is it is the idea of uh, growing spiritually. Uh, in order for the second one to be meaningful, the first one has to be there. So there really is an order of priority because there's a lot of churches out there that they're growing by deep leaps and bounds when it comes to the numbers, but they've got some problems. Uh, they've got they've got some problem uh, uh, some problems with their spiritual compass, which may be why they're growing the way that they are. So uh, we certainly need to give consideration to that. So. That's a good point. Um, now, let's kind of say this then. We're, we're not going to burst our bubble just yet or do a spoiler or anything. But I have known of preachers in the past who just assumed that if a church was upwards to 200, 300, or 400, that there had to be something wrong there. That there, they were liberal, there were false teachers or, you know, you don't grow that big unless you make compromises somewhere is kind of their idea. And the reality is that's not the case, you know? And, and yep. of course we'll address some of those as we go through there, but don't, don't always make an assumption like that. Um, now if they have <laughs> other signs, then you might want to make some assumptions there. But. And, and and that's absolutely a true statement, John. And of course, I mean, I mean, you can look at the examples of the New Testament. I mean, some of those churches were pretty substantial, you know, the way that they're described there. And they were still, I'm talking about ones that were true to God's word and so on. 
uh, and 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 it's a typical situation where you know them by their fruits, and, and of course you know I'm just making the point, and you agree with this, you know I'm just making the point that the priority needs to be there for the spiritual growth first, and and if the physical growth happens, then so be it, but don't let don't let the phys- don't let the physical growth happen at the cost of the spiritual growth. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, John, I think that, that in this study, I'm hoping that we can avoid two extremes uh, that have been pointed out. The one is uh, saying, if they're growing by leaps and bounds, what's wrong? And the other one being uh, that, uh, well, we're growing spiritually, but we have not seen any conversions in 20 years um, because uh, we need, would need to ask ourselves, are we reaching out to the lost or not uh and so and if we are if we're trying to teach well then that's great uh and and if it just has to be that we've not reached those receptive hearts that's one thing but i think there's two extremes there that that are wrong uh and and one is to uh, just assume that any kind of a fast-growing congregation has some kind of a problem or has some kind of a compromise or uh, a softness uh, in in sharing uh, uh, softness in their teaching, uh, and then the other would be that well uh, we're growing spiritually, but there's never there's never any uh, outreach effort. There's never any uh, attempt to to teach others, and so either one of those is sort of an extreme that we would certainly need to avoid. That's right. Uh, you know, there's I, also I, I, go ahead, oh, John. And, oh, go ahead. Yeah. There's also other dynamics to kind of keep in mind that we won't really touch on that you see even affecting in the denominational world. You know, we always assume, well, the denominations must be very large. But when you drive down the road, you find small little denominational churches who have similar struggles. And like I said, we're talking about other dynamics there, you know, that may cause, you know, a stifling of the growth. But we're we're talking about biblical, of course. And There was one of these... Pew Research Studies, I think it was, that mm-hmm. uh, during the ending days of the most extreme time of COVID said that most religious groups, uh, now we don't want to be talking just about you know our, our own brethren, but most religious right. groups uh, were going to decrease by 40%. Uh, I've not seen that uh, mm-hmm. in that number, but uh, did that event in the history of mankind affect us uh, it, it probably has affected us in one way or the other so john or uh, tom i think i jumped in before you go ahead i'm sorry oh it's yeah i know it, it it's okay you know uh i i was just making the observation with you know sometimes when you've got the churches that you know they say all we need as long as we're growing spiritually you know sometimes they do that too uh, they they might think that we're the only ones that are doing that, you know, and yeah. and and there's no others, no others in the area. It, it's either us or nobody. So that I think one that becomes a concern. Yeah, again, I think one of the biggest the biggest biggest obstacles that came out of the pandemic was, for a brief period period of time, it was acceptable. We'll do it like that, not to meet, and then. It was, well, we'll meet once and then everything else will be online. It created, it, it broke people from the habit. And I don't really don't like to use that word, but for some people, it may be that going to church every Sunday is a habit, something that they do. And then once that is broken, that pattern is broken. For some people, they didn't get back into it or it was harder to get back into it, you know. Um, and that does address other side issues and stuff. But, so let's go ahead and begin. Paul, I'm going to throw this one at you, and then at least for introducing the first um, tip for growing a local church, and then we can all talk about it, of course, as we go through this. Absolutely. Let me grab a paper Bible here. I've got uh, some verses up on the screen. But uh, the uh, first one that was on our outline for today is that uh, we need to, to be growing, we need to make sure that we are teaching the Bible or having Bible teaching. And 
when we look over at what Paul wrote uh, to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter four is where we'll we'll take a look at this. And what uh, translation will you be reading out of, Paul? Well, I've got the uh, I can go any direction you'd like. Uh, well, within reason, but I've got uh, the uh, CSB Christian Standard Bible here. Let me get that up just so people can follow along with it. Let's see. Yeah. It's a new Bible uh, that was that I have, and uh, the pages are sticking together. But I think I'm there. Tell me when you're ready, John. All righty. Okay, I'm ready now, Paul. Okay, the uh, reading in Second Timothy chapter four, beginning at verse one, the Scripture says. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. And because of his appearing and his kingdom, uh, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when that people will not endure, excuse me, will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. And so there's an emphasis here that uh, we ought not to, uh, in an attempt to please people, uh, to pad the numbers, to even make people just feel good and feel like they're spiritually strong, to change the teaching but to preach uh, the the truth in its simplicity and its plainness. I'm thinking about how Paul told the Ephesian elders that he had not uh, declared to sh uh, shun, or he had not <laughs> shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. Put the words in the right order there. And so I think that's important. Uh, and so uh, we do need to be careful that we don't avoid hot topics that are going to maybe uh, impact people. And I suspect, uh, suggest to you that you never know who that person is going to be. Um, and so sometimes we say, well, this this topic, it, we think it maybe is safe. And then you find out, well, that topic uh, was right in the middle of someone's life that something they're dealing with. And so we have to be careful that we don't uh, miss out on topics and we do cover things that are uh, both encouraging and are correcting. And in this passage, it talks about both of those things, uh, that we teach things that are sometimes rebuking and correcting, and we teach things that are encouraging and, and building up. And hopefully that facilitates an atmosphere of growth. And so just thinking, thinking through that, uh, I really appreciate some of you guys uh, and some of the guys that we've had as part of this study in the past talked about how they had a very uh, laid out, methodical uh, kind of teaching, and they would uh, schedule that out uh, for a whole year. I'll admit that I, I don't do that. Uh, mine's much more uh, short term. Uh, but some of the guys have said, you know, I'm going to preach this many sermons this year on uh, these kind of uh, heavy doctrinal issues. I'm going to preach this many sermons that are designed to be encouraging. I'm going to preach this many sermons this year that are uh, dealing with moral issues and, and different things. And so I, I think I have an appreciation for that, even though it's not something that I've implemented very well, uh, that that you make sure that you're not missing out on, you, you don't have a blind spot to certain teachings that need to be part of uh, the truth and need to help the congregation the individual Christians as well grow in their faith. I think that's a good point. Um, you know, if, if we wanted to spend some time talking about, and maybe I think last week we were, uh, Brendan had kind of suggested the idea of maybe five tips for new preachers or young preachers or something, you know, I think, I think the, I like the concept of topical studies, like what you're talking about. You kind of decide what congregation needs to hear, how frequently and things like that. But then there's also a big argument to be made for, let's spend some time and study through Matthew. You know, yes. kind of a mixture. You know, if, if you have to prepare two sermons a week, because the more sound churches still meet twice on Sunday. Um, <laughs> anyway, if, uh, now a lot of times when churches do away Sunday evening, they still 
get two sermons from the preacher in the morning time. So they're not going to back off his responsibilities. Anyway, if, if you still have to, if you prepare two sermons a week, that gives you time to do a book study for a while with then topical studies as need be, you know, and, um, and that may be part you've of got what to I was do talking a... about that, that laying out uh, of things. Uh, and so uh, you, you may see that. Yeah. 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 You, you know, as an example of that, uh, um, this is kind of where I'm at over, over the course of the past eight or 10 years, I've, uh, I've basically established a theme that, that covers a pretty substantial part of the year, and 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 I, I, I basically settled it down to three, th- uh, three or four lessons a month on Sunday morning. But I will also give the first Sunday to a first principle lesson, and then once a month. And I've I've done this for ten or more years. I have just systematically studied through a book of the Bible. Over and over and over, um, and and I've actually done that too. Or uh, at at times I've done a couple of them: one Old Testament, one New. Uh, I I just last year, about fourteen weeks ago, I started a I started a series that's going to take ten years or more at once a month, called a journey through the Bible, and it's based on the seventeen time periods. You know, Bob and Sandra Waldron. Uh, it, it, it's based on those and just kind of going through establishing the 17 time periods and talking about some of the characters. So I've been doing that, you know, uh, uh, as, uh, and, and I see balance in that. The first principle ones are the basics. And by the way, if I need to veer off my, my theme and my themes are always major themes, uh, like right now, it's actually a two year theme closer to God. And with that in mind, Leading into our topic that we're dealing with right now is Bible teaching. You know, I I just finished about four to five lessons dealing with the subjects of fellowship and compromise and our concerns with that and how we need to realize that when it comes to fellowship, fellowship needs to first and foremost be with God. And that's whether you're dealing with an, uh, yourself, whether you're dealing with other Christians, or whether you're dealing with a congregation of the Lord's people. Our focus needs to be on fellowship with God. And because of that, we need to be concerned about compromise. You know, when it comes when it comes to the teaching of God's word, and you know, you were making the point, Paul, um, you know, we have to address moral issues. We, we have to address doctrinal issues. If you avoid those types of things for whatever reason, um, you know what? You may be okay with your generation, but you are, as you read in Judges 2 and verse 10, you are only one generation away from apostasy, almost virtually, unless for some reason they do something on their own, you're one generation away. Uh, and, and, and another verse that you can tie into this, John, is Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And I think this will come up all throughout our study because you have there where Paul makes the point that uh, God gave us these, uh, uh, I guess a term to use there is the functionaries, and they're actually they're actually uh, uh, teaching. All of these are leaders in a congregation that teach. Notice the list doesn't include deacons. You know, even though they're leaders in a congregation, it doesn't include deacons, or it doesn't include those who are teaching by example. These are these are those who present the word of God and the goal of presenting the word of God is to equip the saints to build up the body so that we will be united in the faith and we will not be tossed to and fro carried about by every wind of doctrine. So I think that's a significant aspect when we talk about Bible teaching as a mode of growth. And I have another uh, quick thought that I'll mention, but uh, I want this to open up to whatever you all want to say first, instead of, taking it all <laughs> all right let's see any thoughts or comments um i agree with what what tom said i mean it's 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 a full it's a full responsibility um, and i think sometimes we don't talk enough about the ephesians 4 11 through 16 text and the responsibility of the local leadership and the congregation in regards to growth i think every congregation the members themselves should grow more knowledgeable. Every 
every year after year after year. And I'm always thankful and impressed when someone makes a comment that is something I've not thought about that. You know, that's a very good point. And I don't know if I would have in the current path that I'm studying in. You know, it really, really helps a lot. Oh, and, and another point, uh, another point, no, you know, no, uh, going in a different direction, dealing with Bible teaching, you know, I, I made the observation in our notes, a well-developed Bible class system is, I, I'm, I'm going to say crucial, you know, yeah. crucial to a congregation growing spiritually. What the classes deal with needs to be timely. It needs to be broad in scope. Uh, it doesn't need to avoid books of the Bible, and it doesn't need to avoid topics that need to be addressed. They all need to be addressed in one way or another. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, anybody who's uh, been around any length of time knows that your greatest growth from a teaching standpoint in a congregation is going to come from those Bible classes, even more so than the preaching. Uh, and and the, reason, the reason for that is the interaction, the interaction that takes place, and you have a little more time to, if something comes up with a subject, you can develop it. And, and, and that's kind of what Timothy was told to do. You know, Paul, you know, Paul talking to first, uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, you know, verses 12 and so on. He talks about give attention to reading and those types of things and to build up the congregation with the word. That's a good point. I really wonder if, in contrast to the first century, we have a much more, we have found it out of the need of expediency to help in the growth of the congregation to establish the system of classes that we have. You know, can you imagine in the first century, where they primarily had the Old Testament, maybe in the Septuagint, might have been in their possession. But a lot of the home teaching would have been verbal. You know, they wouldn't have had all the, the copious amounts of Bible class material and things of that nature. It would require the ones who were teaching to know what they were talking about and then to communicate it to the young people, which probably fell mostly on the parents back then. And I still think should today. You know, if, if you have parents who send their kids to Bible class, but the parents never study with them, you might want to consider doing away with Bible classes because they've become a, a, a crutch. You know, and the parents are now relying upon them to teach their kids and they've fallen, if that's happened, you know, if they've fallen down on the responsibility, then put the responsibility back on them 100%. Um, I'm not saying to do that, but, you know, if someone, if someone is, okay, I'm going to say something that will get me in trouble with a lot of people. But if someone's healing from an injury and they can walk with their legs, but they continue to use a crutch, what do you do? You keep the crutch out from underneath them so they're forced to walk on their legs. No, don't, please don't do that. You'll be sick. Break the other but leg the, is a thought was the answer. Yeah, but the point is, though, you got to take the crutch away sometimes if someone is depending, is using it when they don't need to. And so the Bible class has become a crutch, you know. But I agree with what Tom's saying, though. If you're going to do it, you got to do it right. Any other thoughts on that? I'm going to get some hate mail at some point. Okay. So just just so that everybody will know how to do that, send it to questions at truthfactorlive.com or Brian. Just write to Brian at truthfactorlive or truthfactor.com. Yeah. So we have a couple of comments to bring in real quick, then we'll move on to our next tip for growing a local church. The first one comes in from Michael. Michael writes, balance preaching slash teaching is critical the growth to, to the growth of every Christian. And even the harsh teaching must not be avoided. Fire and brimstone, if you would, has its place. They go Matthew 23, the way that Jesus talked to the Pharisees, talked about the Pharisees regarding their hypocrisy, as does milk for the babes. And, and, and here, in, and Michael makes a good point with this, I think this is where um, love comes in. Because there are some brethren who may be new converts that you might take a more general approach to then become specific and trying to bring them up. But then if you got someone who knows better, sometimes you come at, at them in a very direct way, you know, because they need to hear that. Yeah. So coming in then with another comment, we've got several here to bring in. The next one comes in from Aline, and she writes the following. A plan is good, 
but we must be instant in season and out of season. Absolutely. Always stand ready. Michael says, by the way, thanks, Thomas, for your reply to my question. Okay, that's a little private thing. Thankfully, it wasn't anything uh, super private. <laughs> um, I'm glad to know that your restrictions have led up there on, on in worship service out in California. Yeah. Now, Jimmy made a comment about something I said a while ago. Trust me, we don't have Sunday night. Paul. <laughs> We don't have uh, Sunday night services, so yes, we still get two sermons. And that's why a lot of them do that now. I don't see how it is done, but it is positive. It gives us time to visit, or the positive. Yeah, I've heard that before. It gives more time for brethren to meet on Sunday night elsewhere, to visit elsewhere. Um, it can do that as well. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Andy. Andy Walker says the suggestion I would have for growing the church is just read the Bible alone for a sermon. You can do that, um, unless you're reading through Ezekiel. That may take a little bit more explanation there. Um, and there are a lot of times where if you read one Bible chapter to fully understand it, you might need to have to use your terms to explain its connection with fulfillment of prophecies and things of that nature. But it shouldn't have to be composed of a bunch of stories and quips and quotes and feel-good statements. It should be a simple explanation what the Bible says. I think years ago I had heard it said, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong about this, that the practice in the synagogue was um, they the person would stand up to read the scriptures, and then they would sit down to comment on the scriptures. So the idea of commenting on what is being read is not new. you know, And so that's kind of the role that, that, that preachers will do with that. But he's right, though. That's the, the source of it. Yeah. yeah and let's, you know, go ahead, Tom. You know, building just real quick, building on that. Uh, uh, I think if you study the work of a preacher in First and Second Timothy, Titus, and other places, you'll find that the work of the preacher is not just simply to read. It 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 is to read and to explain and to to help them understand and make application to it. So yeah, and and and, and the reading is good. Um, maybe we ought to do more of it. But 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 the truth is is um, ex explanations need to take place. Yeah, as a part of it, as, as a part of preaching. Yeah, that's right. Following that thought, Randy says, in that case, the entire truth would be guaranteed to be preached because it's just the Bible alone. Yeah, I follow what you're saying there, and that's that's a very good point. Um, Aileen says, I can't preach, but I can give someone a Bible. Okay, that's a very good, outstanding point too. Make it somewhat readable. They printed a bunch of these real cheap Bibles that you need a magnifying glass. They've got like four columns and on yellow paper and trying to read it. Yeah. Try to go spend a little bit extra money, a dollar or two more. And anyway, um, so Michael says teaching via shadow and image helps growth as the students, especially teachers incorporate a demanded uh, study of both Old and New Testaments, make an application to our souls from the law. Um, the law, though. Um, New Testament instead of the law of deed, the Old Testament. Yeah, the law of thought. Is that what he said? Application to our souls from the law of thought, New Testament, instead of the law of deeds. I understand what you're saying. And that's right. You know, it's good. When, when you have children, you teach your children Bible stories so that as they grow older, they begin to connect those stories then together. Uh, well, we got a lot of them that's rolled in, so let me catch up here a minute. Gregor. Gregor says that, Eileen, you can always twist the ear, twist the ear of those that can, um, some preachers have to pull their hair out. That's hate mail. Uh, that's, uh, that's what they call the anti-folliculites, the, the people that are, um, you know, <laughs> harassing those of us that have beautiful heads. Paul and I take I offense I to <laughs> Yeah, I guess I need the... to read these comments before I bring them in. <laughs> I don't get yeah. it. All righty. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, then let's just follow that up with that comment. Brian says, I'm going to summon some bears. <laughs> That's right. Okay. All right. So sorry about that. <laughs> a lot of jest uh, going on there. And I, I'm looking at a screen that I've divided into two to try to figure out what comments to send. And so it makes kind of a difficulty in reading. Yeah, what is that? Anyway, good, good, good time, good discussion there. All right, so let's come back here to this. 
you know, y'all didn't see that. I had y'all small screen. There you go. So, all right. So let's move on then to the second tip for growing a local church. And you're going to find these kind of go hand in hand. They're kind of connected together. But Brian, let's talk about the the second one. What is that second one that we have here? I think this is a great one, great point to can talk about. And it's the idea of spiritual encouragement or edification. You know, one thing I think that comes up a lot is people say, uh, hey, my my church isn't growing. Uh, what can the church do? And there's there is a fundamental flaw in that statement. And the fundamental flaw, a lot of you caught it, is it's not about what the church can do. It's what about members do to grow the body. Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul was talking. We already mentioned the passage, but let's go back to it for a second. In Ephesians 4 verse 11, uh, the Apostle Paul begins a conversation that talks about the idea of growing the body. He's going to tell us how to grow the body, but he's going to say it kind of strange. He's going to start off in verse 11 talking about people in the church, apostles and prophets. That's the universal church. But then he talks about evangelists, pastors, teachers. What do they do? Verse 12, he says, they equip the body. For, uh, they equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The word edify means to build up. Uh, he goes on to describe coming to unity, coming to knowledge, uh, verse 13, verse 14, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in all things to him who is Christ. So verse 15 says we begin to grow into Christ. Verse 16, he says the whole body begins to supply everything according to the effect of, verse 16 is probably the most important verse here. According to the effective working, which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Growth of the body. You want growth of the body. It's not that the church is supposed to do something. So somebody says, hey, I'm concerned about the, the church not growing. What can the church do? Well, that's the wrong question. The right question is, what can I do? Um, because that's really the work that we're considering here. It's not the work uh, that the church grows itself. It's that the members grow the church. And edification is the word that we use that describes how we equip people. Now, there's a couple of ways that we consider the idea of equipping people. Um, one way is the idea that we equip people by knowledge. Well, we've just talked about effective Bible teaching. Um, effective Bible teaching equips people by training them, giving them the tools that they need. Uh, we're soldiers, um, and we fight, you know, uh, in a spiritual war, and the Word of God is our weapon that we use. And we need to be trained in how to use it. You know, we need to be trained how to pull out answers about somebody's questions. He says, oh, well, I, I believe the Catholic Church is the right church. We need to have an effective use of that of that tool in order to rebuttal that point or to make a different point. Somebody says, why do I need to God? Why do I need to be uh, saved? What? How do I need to be saved? These are all ways that we effectively use our instrument, our, our warfare, the Word of God. And, and the church isn't designed to grow itself. The church is designed to equip saints to grow the church. That's the design that God set up. Not And as I said, if somebody comes to the idea to say, hey, our church our church needs to do something to grow itself, they, they fundamentally missed what it's really all about. It's about the idea that we're each supposed to be doing our part. And that's what uh, we're supposed to, uh, that's what we're supposed to be doing is we're supposed to examine ourselves, determine what we're supposed to do, and then labor and work on how we grow ourselves. So the church edifies us. And it also, uh, another big part of this that uh, I think is truly important is the church both admonishes and corrects us too. Um, can you imagine a soldier who doesn't use his rifle correctly? He's, you know, he's goofing around with it. He's, you know, he's pulling the pins on hand grenades because he thinks it's funny. How's the sergeant going to react? Sergeant's not going to say, well, you know, let's just, uh, you know, we all do things a different way. The sergeant's probably might even hit the guy, but the sergeant's going to yell at him. The sergeant's going to scream at him. Sergeant's going to uh, correct him. And, and that's not how we correct people in the church, to be sure. But when we correct people within the church, when we admonish one another, whenever we encourage one another, say we're doing it right, we're doing it wrong, these are the ways that we're equipping each other to be effective in that spiritual warfare. And it's important for us to understand that that effectiveness in spiritual warfare is only going to be accomplished if the church is doing its part to equip me, to admonish me, to uh, uh, to uh, correct me, all the things that it's required to do. 
when we consider um, a church that doesn't pursue the idea of correcting its members, Revelation 2 and 3 talks about churches that allowed false teachers or allowed false doctrines in. And God said, um, I'm going to withdraw my candle stand from you. I always like the word candle stand. It, it, it makes me think of the word franchise, like a, like a McDonald's franchise. And here's God saying, I'm going to revoke the church franchise from you. You won't get to be my church. You know, we said at the very beginning, it is truly God who gives growth. That's where growth comes from. And if God is not with us because we are not pursuing the things he's told us to do, we're not going to have growth. Or at least we're not going to have real growth. We might have more people in. We're not going to have genuine growth. So it's important for us to understand, first of all, this idea of spiritual encouragement. Uh, a church isn't going to grow itself. The members of the church are going to grow. And the church accomplishes the members growing itself by giving them the tools through edification, growing them. And remember, edification is not a feeling. Edification is the uh, understanding of Scripture, the right use of the weapon that we're given, and the spiritual combat that we need to go through, and then the members of the church uh, accomplish the growth. That's a good point. Um, good explanation. Any any thoughts from Paul or Tom? I, thought, I like uh, what's right. Go ahead. Go ahead, Paul. No, you I, just, I like what Brian points out there and about... Um, the church equipping the members to do their individual share, their individual part. I, I, and I would agree with you about that, the verse there about by which every part does its share uh, causes the growth. So we're to be equipping one another with all the right things to do, all the right teaching, all the right conduct, all the right behavior, so that each member can supply what they can supply uh, for us to receive the building and encouragement that we we ought to have. Yeah. It's, I think sometimes we, and I mean generically speaking, the, the challenge we face is we don't under, we don't stress the importance of the strength of every single member. Okay. Um, every single member makes the local church stronger when that member is his or herself becomes stronger and the church becomes weaker if members don't grow and if and if they allow themselves um to 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 weaken if you would when you you think about the the you mentioned the churches of asia a while ago and i kind of like the idea of the lampstand and maybe kind of think about an oil light on top of that lampstand you know that would hold it for the light there you mentioned that i think about five of the congregations there had problems and there were some brethren who were very strong but it wasn't the strong brethren that the lord had a problem with it was those brethren who were still living in sin or as he said to the whole church at ephesus you've left your first love you know and so it's important for every member to be strengthened and that's the role of the congregation of the, as was pointed out in Ephesians 11 or 4, 11 through 16. Um, so, but we had a thought or a question that came in from, from Andy. And this is one of those, I want to say it's a very practical question. When you preach the whole sermon, if you don't ask yourself, so what? Then you don't really benefit the members uh, regarding the application. Andy says, how is a person supposed to know what they personally can do to grow the church? when it does not give enough details about how to apply. And then he also follows up there, could there be a system where the leaders decide what each person must do in order to grow the church? And that's fundamentally kind of what we're talking about. So we, we've broken it down into five tips. Maybe we may have a bonus tip. We'll need to go into next week, of course, in our studies, make this a two-parter. but. The Bible does give a lot of instructions in regards to how we deal with one another individually. And I recognize there are certain things that as individuals we might do that the local church in and of itself may not do. There are clear separations there. But when we talk about the role of the church to, to preach the word of God, to edify, to correct, to admonish, and things of that nature, think about Galatians 6, 1, 4, 6, 1 through 4 is example, these things are not limited to the assembly of the saints. So if if you know someone who 
is in need of encouragement, strengthening, you can do that. If you want to have a home Bible study with someone, you can do that. Many times these things are done individually, maybe more so than they are done collectively, just depending on the relationship that we have with other brethren. Um, we do have to exercise with love, though. Some people really like that idea of Galatians 6, 1 through 4. I like that passage. So I get to correct people when they're just clearly wrong. Um, <laughs> so you have to consider yourself lest you also be tempted in that. Um, but that's where the eldership comes in. They kind of help the congregation kind of break it down in more of a simpler point of here's some suggestions that would be an application of these passages regarding your responsibility towards other brethren. Right. Right. Hey, Any thoughts? Uh, yeah, John, you know, and building on that, you know, he makes that second comment, you, you know, dealing with that is could the leaders tell you what to do? Uh, <laughs> and the answer to that is yes and no. You know, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, from the standpoint of they ought to be giving you direction. But I, I've, I've often thought about the best way that a leader can help you. You know, if somebody wants to know what are my talents, you know, you know, what 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 are my abilities and so on. Well, number one, you uh, you you just got to keep trying. You got to keep trying things, and you're going to find that there are some things that you excel at. And there are some things that you do not excel at. And, and if we have the relationship that we ought to have with each other as brethren, which is another, we'll deal with that later. But, but if we have the relationship that we ought to have over the course of time, you're going to know, you're, you're going to know what strengths and weaknesses are. And, and, you know, leaders, leaders in a congregation, elders, preacher, teachers or whatever, they will, if they know the members, if they know the flock, they will know if there is a need that needs to be addressed, they know who to go to and ask if they can help with that. Because, you know, because of the relationship that is there between each other. And and so more than anything, I see it as the idea of suggestions, you know, you know, from leaders, mm. from leaders based on, based on knowing knowing each other and, and and that's just that that's a key point of emphasis in all this how can we encourage each other how can we teach each other and i think this applies to every point that we deal with how, how can we do all these things if we're not together so we need to be the family that prefers each other i think there's one important idea that we need to consider i think this is a good question i think it's the question every christian ought to ask what is my purpose and what is my place within the body the first thing we need to understand, First Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul talks to the church in Corinth, and he lays out some ideas about each one of us having a purpose. Uh, one, The cornerstone idea is that every single member of the body has a purpose that they're there to fulfill. Some of us have more than one purpose, but we have a purpose or a value, and he talks about different ways that works. Um, Romans 12, Paul says the same thing, but I prefer the list in Romans 12 because I think it's one that's a little more engaging for us. So I'm going to read Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 6. Paul says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Uh, start, starting off there, he's making the case that everybody has an ability, some kind of tool or talent or uh, something that's given to them. Uh, it may be even something physical. He goes on to talk about wealth being one of those things. What what do I have that I can offer in service to God? So he lists them. He says, well, there's prophecy. Let's say that's just public speaking. Prophesy in proportion to your faith. If it's ministry uh, to take care of other people, let us use it in our ministry. If it's teaching, teach. If it's, if it's exhorting, exhortation, verse 8. Uh, he who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Um, and let our love be without hypocrisy. Let's think about what he's saying here for a second. Um, in each of those cases, there there are elements that we have an ability, but there's also an expectation of what we're going to do to grow that ability. Let's think of the parable of the talents. In each case, a talent was given or multiple talents were given to a person, and the expectation was they would then grow additional talents. Uh, Paul says, if you have a gift, use it according to grace. Well, what do you do with grace? 
Well, elsewhere in the Bible, it says we grow in grace. We, we grow our grace. So if I'm going to be a speaker, if I'm going to talk to people or to the church, there's the first one. What do I need to do? Well, I've got to grow my faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I'm going to have to study to show myself approved. These are all statements we are familiar with in the Bible. So what do I do? How do I figure it out? Well, what, you know, what am I able to do? And then what do I need to do to grow that talent? It's not enough just to say, well, I can do something, so I'm going to do it. It might be the case to say, I might be able to do something. I need to find the attributes to grow within myself to do it. If I'm going to be somebody who's going to speak and teach others, I need to grow in my knowledge of the will of God. If I'm going to be somebody who serves others, I need to find ways not to be bitter about that, but to be humble and loving, and I need to grow those attributes within myself. If I'm going to be a person who exhorts, uh, I need to learn what the ways that I exhort are. These are things that a lot of times we look to within ourselves, not necessarily something that the body trains us up in, because a lot of what Ephesians 4 is saying is we're, we're equipping ourselves by an understanding of the things that God wants us to understand. But there's also a lot of characteristics we have to work within ourselves, things like self-control, uh, growing in grace and knowledge, uh, controlling our mouth, uh, uh, abstaining from every form of evil, you know, growing in love. All of those are things that the body isn't a part of. It's, it's within me that I'm going to labor to grow those attributes. And those are the ways that we find ourselves able to serve better. So it's a great question. It is an important question. And the Word of God has answers for us to consider. Uh, anytime somebody says, hey, Brian, what's my purpose in this church? I say, let's go look at Romans 12. Let's go look at 1 Corinthians 12. And let's see what the Bible says. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and when it comes to receiving direction about that, you know, you know, you bring up the par parable of the talent. One of the things that's not specifically addressed in the parable of the talents, but I think it's worth applying, is what if you got somebody that is a two-talent servant and chooses to only use one of their talents? You know, as, you know, in other words, they're not. They're not fully developing themselves, and and one uh, that's one of the problems with expecting somebody else to um, to give you the list of what you need to do. Uh, more often than not, we're more we're capable of doing more than what we can do, as opposed to those who do more than what they're really capable of. I mean, more often than not, that, that's the situation I see. And and basically, only you can determine for yourself if you can do more. And and that's kind of the significance of, of understanding that when you're looking. Now, like I said, um, others can help you. Others can help you find and, and walk you through with some things and maybe try to help you develop in areas and so on. But you have to you have to work through those things yourself. Because because uh, there may be an area that in time you can grow more and, and you can increase this and become more effective in this particular area. It's true. There is one thing to note. We also have to factor in the different type of personalities that exist within people. One of the things I've noticed, the people go through the education process of learning to, to, deal, with, to deal with children. Um, I've got two daughters who both were trained teachers and taught. And it's interesting, the wisdom, you got to filter out a lot of the, the liberal stuff, obviously, but the wisdom that's learned and how to approach children, in this case in point, you realize there are different types and different approaches. And I think even on an adult level, there are different personality types. So there may be some people who it would be very helpful to say, here are six things you could do. You know, you know, focus on these six things. And they say, that's wonderful because now I actually know what to do. Um, it's it's kind of like if you have a child that doesn't clean the room up and they go into the room, the room's mess. Depending on the personality type, they may be lost in where to start. Okay. But if you go in there and kind of be a present with them, say, hey, let's let's start with that one. And then go with that one. Then you begin to take away all the, the abstract that's distracting them and you help them to focus. And so there may be times where elders, and I think one of you touched on this, could go up to someone and say, Hey, we need you to send cards to our visitors from this past week. Would you mind doing that? And they say, great, I can do that. You know, 
And there are others you don't have to be so specific with. They'll just come up to you and say, hey, here's what I did the last week. Can you think? Wonderful. I didn't even think of that. You know, it's a good point, Tom. Good point. Okay, so let's see. Why don't we plan to pause the study for today? Uh, We have several other points we want to cover, several other tips. For instance, next week we'll start with one that's right up there with um, evangelist, not evangelist, edification and teaching, and that has to do with brotherly love. And this kind of goes outside of the scope of the assembly a little bit. You know, we talk about teaching, we talk about edification, that can be done within the assembly and is that's why we assemble together in part, but it's also needful when we are alone with one to get another outside the assembly. Brotherly love is going to come down to the very heart of us and it'll affect us. It'll help us in both assemblies and outside the assemblies in dealing with one another and everything. So we'll start there next Tuesday. Okay. Any other thoughts or comments? No, no, it's just an important subject. It is. It really is. An important subject. That's worth a couple of class periods or a couple of hours of study. That's true. That's true. Um, There are so much you could talk about this. And the the older you are, the longer you've spent working with churches, the more you observe, the more lessons you learn, you know, and kind of see what's worked, what doesn't work, what can become an affection, what can become a great boost you know just a lot of a lot of different things so well let's plan to do that then next thursday we'll continue with our study of five tips to grow in a local church the local congregation there and we'll pick up next week with talking about brotherly love and care for one another very very important i'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for our study today if you would and i think this is how it all works like our facebook page and that way you'll get notifications regarding our upcoming live streams. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. I don't know if they still do the like button, but if you're there, smash it. As they say, just don't literally break your monitor when you do that. Um, and then that way you'll get notifications when we go live as well. If you want to contact us, we'd love to hear from you um, with that too. You can send all your questions and comments to questions at truthfactorlive.com or email us there individually. First name, the short version of it, Paul, Tom, Brian, etc. at truthfactor.com. So we'll have all that available if you'd like to touch base with us that way too. Alrighty, I guess that's all for today. Thank you everyone. We'll see you next week, Tuesday at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time right here at live.truthfactor.com. Y'all have a wonderful week.